Hello there ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of CookieCast. Today on CookieCast, it's the football podcast and it's all hands on deck, everybody's here and we're talking football, football, football. If you're checking us out on YouTube, iTunes or SoundCloud or in fact anywhere you get your podcasts, please do subscribe. It's uh, it's a big help, like, share, comment, all of that good stuff, uh, but subscribing is awesome anyway let's quit cracking here we go this is cookie cast the football podcast recording in progress i mean that is absolutely (laughs) the way to kick things off for, for the audio, I to be caught on the on the on the actual recording. For the audio listeners, you're going to get a little bonus there. Paul speaking his mind to all of you around the world, telling you what he really thinks of you. So when <laughs> when you're asked in future who your favourite podcast host is, oh, I'm talking to the audio listeners. I'm pointing to myself. What a tit! <laughs> in that right, Paul? So. <clears throat> We're here. We're all here. Uh, I'm sure Paul can do the register. Uh, so I'll hand it over to Paul. And I'm, you know, I think we're all now hoping <coughs> he's not just going to start by insulting everybody again. Paul? Good evening, Andrew. Um, your tit or something to that, that sort of equ- equation. Uh, welcome along all to uh, another instalment of the uh, the football podcast. Um Again, another week passes where we've not actually settled on a on a catchy name. Um, but uh, obviously, I'm joined this week again by the 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 voice you heard at the start there, the the, the beautiful Mr. Andrew Cook. Oh, hello. Also, we've also got the uh, the whole flavour of the podcast brought to us by uh, Humberside's own Mr. Stuart Woodmansey. Hello. And. Uh, a little East Midlands flair with a northeasterly twang. It is, of course, everyone's favourite Forest fan based up in there. It's Matthew Moore. Hello. Apologies, there. I had to, I had to take a, a, a somewhat victory sip of my uh, of my beverage there just to quench my thirst from all my uh, foul mouth, potty mouth uh, nature. But, but um, yeah, we're back on board for another. Uh, Another instalment of, uh, of football-based uh, banter, and uh, what can I say? I'll t- to borrow a, to borrow somewhat of a phrase from uh, one of Andrew's favourite wrestling teams. It's a new day, yes, it is. But we'll get to that later on. No, not happy with that one. Why'd you poke the bear? Why'd you do it? What did I? I what did I ever do to you? Don't answer that. I, I didn't think that'd be such a biggie. I mean, big. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, lovely. I was going to make some kind of. Uh... I was going to try Snarky and... comment or something? No, I was going to try and, and out-stew-stew. Stew, but... Yeah, don't ever, don't ever try and do that. You'll you'll fail miserably. I, I, don't, I don't have luck with, you know, certain, certain comedy. You know, the pun genre is not my game. We'll um, end up down some sort of dad joke rabbit hole as well. Yeah, I think, I think uh, other people would say that, that, that comedy isn't my game, but, you know. So... Where do you want to start? What do you want to do? This, you know. Well, we'd usually go last week in football, wouldn't we? To do the old uh, results. That's the word I was looking for. I, I, I was kind of hoping that you weren't going to say that. Now that might sound like I haven't updated the book. And that was nearly the case, but uh, it is not the case. And well, 
It's interesting. <laughs> oh god, I'm worried now. <sighs> Paul's clearly not. It's um it's interesting. So uh how interesting? Let's find out. Um only three games. Because it's them internationals, in it, And we'll be talking international football shortly. But we're not there yet. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about the three games from the last week. And we're going to start with the most Yorkshire team in the land. Barnsley. Going up against Hull City. Now, I know long-time listeners will be like, well, everybody will have predicted at the least... A whole defeat. I imagine there was probably, you know, the odd draw thrown in. But, but did anybody predict a whole win? And should they have done? Stu? Turns out they should have done. Uh, so, in, in, in previously mentioned podcasts, Barnsley have generally been a bit of a bogey team, especially at Oakwell for Hull. Um, but yeah, not this time. George Honeyman opening the scoring on 33 minutes uh, with a podcast favourite, and I'm pretty sure there's going to be some uh, some tasty tasty points shortly. Mr. Keen Lewis Potter on 75 minutes. Uh, what was sort of most pleasing for me was in a game where Hull had less possession at 46 percent. Less shots on target. We had four. Barnsley had six. But still won 2 0. So it looks loads more convincing than it actually was. Uh, but it does put Hull above Barnsley, in, now in 22nd. So officially uh, best of the worst. Um, but we are still three points behind Peterborough in 21st. So there is still work to be done. Um, but it is it is definitely definitely a much needed result. Like it's, I, I can't. Imagine that there's been many six-pointers in my history of watching Hull City that have necessarily gone our way, but this certainly was one of them. I feel this is one of those situations where I need to rip the plaster off quite quickly, because for some of you, Hull winning did not go well. Paul had a Desmond down. Um, and of the two Hull City people predicted score, were not the goal scorers. So uh, zero for the for the for the whole game. Stu, who loves going against his team, got the correct score, but the wrong way round. And uh, as there were no Barnsley goal scorers, no points for you, sir. Matt followed. Uh, Paul with the draw scenario, but I think we all know who uh, who Matt loves to predict scoring for Hull. He likes the uh, the Honeymen, and uh, as we know, the Honeymen scored. So one point for you, sir. Congratulations. You know how there's like there's that one guy who's like oh, I love I love uh, I love sticking behind the home teams. I love you know giving them giving them a goal because they're always in the room. <sighs> yeah, I predicted a one nil Hull win, so there's a point, and I did put Lewis Potter down to score, so that's <laughs> that, that's that's two points there. <coughs> Uh, I think we can see how this one's shaping up already. Speaking of lots of goals in a football match, Nottingham Forest took on Preston North End. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat this one. Uh, there are there are draws predicted. Uh, there are wins predicted. But were they predicted the right way round? Let's find out by talking to the Nottingham Forest fan, Mr Matthew Moore, as he tells us what happened in this game. 
if you predicted a Nottingham Forest win, then you're in the points situation. Um, kind of similar to kind of what Stu said. Preston have always been a, a bogey team. Forest, it's been that kind of you see them coming up on the fixture list and you look at where they are in the league and you think, oh, excellent, it's going to be a win this weekend. We're going to take, put that in our back pockets and uh, kind of move on to the next game. And generally, that didn't happen. However, um, with a change of fortunes that have kind of been continuing on over the past month or so, uh, Forrest pulled out a 3-0 win. Um, I don't know what's going on with the Forest stats team, because I mean they said that with the with the Lewis Graben brace that he bagged this week, this week they, that was his fiftieth and fifty first goal for Forest. I mean I'd read somewhere that he'd gone past Pele uh, in terms of goals scored, like you know Pele's career goals scored that's been passed by Lewis Graben just at Forest um, this season. This this season. <laughs> And also, just to shock everybody even further, because I think in the last uh, podcast, I think it was uh, hinted at, well, Jack Colbeck can't score again for Forrest, can he? That doesn't happen very often. But no, no, the ginger pillow turned up and uh, slotted another one back in the back of the net. So uh, Forrest ran away. Three 3-0 winners and also kind of shat on Mr Williams's uh, goal people scoring goals uh, betting at the same time which was uh, quite nice so just to confirm if you put grab them down you get the two points yeah how many times did you put him down whatever um, <laughs> Paul bagged himself a point because he had faith in the forest not enough just a just a one nil uh, Stu went with a draw no points and of the three goals scored and the two goal scorers, you did not predict. Matt decided that he was going to get behind his team this week. A 2-1 to put points on the board for you, sir. It's alright because he likes points and he decided I'll have another by putting Graben down to score. I went with a draw after everything I said. Everything I said. I had to back the teams and all that nonsense. I went with a draw. I did put Graben down to score though. So there's a point there. Let's talk West Bromwich Albion. Taking on the mighty Middlesbrough. Paul? So... We had, uh, I, I think I might, I might even say that like this is a bit of a, uh, it's been a bit of a happy hunting ground for Borough in the last couple of years. Um, it proved to sort of be the case on Saturday where they, they managed to, they managed to come away with a point in a one-one draw. So they took the lead through a, another goal this season for Josh, as he's been dubbed by another Middlesbrough podcast, Josh. Goldburn. Uh, I think that was his. That was his third of the season in only five <laughs> games. I think so. He's been he's been pretty prolific when he's been put into the starting lineup this uh, this season. Uh, the West Brom goal was scored by Grady Diangana. So, fun fact: uh, nobody correctly predicted the score. Nobody correctly predicted the goal scorers, but on a technicality, somebody does get a point because somebody technically predicted a draw by going nil-nil. And that is the Middlesbrough fan himself securing his first points of the week. Um, so... Yeah, Stu's already picked up on that one. Um, In no particular order, other than the order it's written down here, winning the week (laughs) is not Paul with one point, or Stu with zero points. I thought this week was the golf scoring rules, right? It's a podcast (laughs) first, ladies and gents. Um, First time ever. 
First time ever. Tune into the NFL podcast to see if this was maybe talked about there. Um, another draw between myself and the Nottingham Forest fan, Mr. Matthew Moore. Three points apiece. I'll arm wrestle you for the win. Um, now then, uh, I'll have to consult the host whether he wants to talk any more about anything that might have come off the back of the Middlesbrough game at all, or does he want to move on and loop back round? So, obviously this is the part where we'd normally just dive straight into next week games and do the predictions, but something rather important happened basically almost within seconds of the final whistle being blown at the Hawthorns on Saturday. Um... The, the news was uh, the news came out that Middlesbrough had uh, agreed to mutually part ways with manager Neil Warnock. This came out at about five thirty p.m. on that Saturday, so literally within within minutes of the final whistle. He then went on to do his post match interview with the local radio station and explained that he'd been told at about ten o'clock that morning that. He was no longer going to. He was going to be leaving the club after today's game, which does beg the question of: doesn't sound very mutual consent, then, does it? Um. So, also, on that note, before you move on, mm-hmm. if he was told at ten o'clock, why did he still go? Like, surely, like the whole setup was there, and like they'd have trained for the week by that point. He's not adding anything really, other than. I, I didn't understand that when I heard that. So what what he said in his pre match in his post match com- uh, press conference was that, or his post match interview, sorry, what what he said was that he didn't tell the players until about ten five or ten minutes before the game kicked off. So the Is players were prepared. Fuck him over on his way out of the door there, then, or what? Oh yeah, yeah, big time. So the players the, the players apparently weren't aware. Um, he's taken them up to the start of the game as if everything was normal and stuff like that. And then, obviously, with his five or ten minutes to go before the before the game starts, he drops his bombshell. And, oh, by the way, lads, that'll be it for me after today. Win, lose, or draw, I'm not the manager anymore. I didn't mean, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it, it beautifully did. Um, so, obviously... Must have resonated somewhat in the fact that they managed to sort of get him a draw, so he didn't go out on a defeat. Uh, but his um, his run of what was it, sixteen hundred and two games? I think I'll just double check that because I had it on my on my screen. Yeah, sixteen hundred and two games managed has come to an end. Um, at no point in his in his uh, interview did he say that he was retiring or anything like that. So. Potentially, there might be a club out there that's looking to uh, to get a manager in Cardiff. Um, but so he, he also did uh, explain in the in the interview that he knew the person that was coming in to replace him, and it had been talked about for a couple of weeks. So again, raises the questions of definitely not mutual consent. Definitely just been told to get out of the club. But then, obviously, been told, but you can still manage today if you want. Very strange. Very sort of almost cloak and dagger, if you will, and a bit underhanded. It sounded like he he, he also said was that um, he felt that he's, he's, he's always had a good relationship with Steve Gibson, the chairman, but a couple of the other people higher in the sort of like the management sort of behind the scenes team he never really felt like he got their full support and uh, there was there was a rumour on one of the Middlesbrough fan sites on like Facebook or Twitter or something like that uh, where he was asked by someone else what he felt what he felt about Neil Bowser who was the chief exec and he said don't mention that name around me so I don't think we need to look very much further for uh, the people that he didn't get on with within the uh, within the organisation but It'll be one of those things where if he does a, if he does another book, I will definitely be buying it because I'd uh, I'd be interested to see the uh, behind the scenes of when he when he got 
drafted by the borough and stuff like that. But um, the rumours were doing the rounds as soon as the as soon as the interview was finished as to who the new manager was. Obviously, because Neil had said in the in the interview that the guy was the guy had already been sort of spoken about and pretty much put in place. Uh, turns out the man uh, in the frame was the ex Sheffield United manager Chris Wilder, and he was announced as the new permanent manager on uh, uh, early Sunday afternoon. So, like Warnock said, they were hanging about. They'd already spoken. They'd already put him in place, and, and it was just a formality of just getting him through the door and and whatnot. And uh, yeah, so as of Sunday, the new Middlesbrough manager is Chris Wilder. So I've had a look at some of Chris Wilder's stats, and he's been a manager since 2001 when he took over Alfred and Town. He has been promoted with every single club he's managed apart from Halifax Town, and that was pretty much because they had no pot to piss in at one point. I think they actually went they actually went into administration. I think it was a um, well he left because the club went into administration basically, and they had to be liquidated. So he uh, yeah so he's been he's been promoted with Alfred and Town, then he managed Halifax for six years, went to Oxford, managed them for six years, got him promoted back into the football league, then left to go to Northampton Town, got them promoted into League One, then took over at Sheffield United, got them promoted to League uh, from League One to the Championship, and then obviously from the Championship up until the Premiership, and now obviously he's taken over Middlesbrough, so it'll be nice for him to bring his record of uh, you know successive teams that he's got promoted to an end. But um, I'm I'm excited personally as, as a Borough fan to see how he gets on. He uh, he's a lot of people when he was when he was the manager at Sheffield United talked about this way that he plays with the the thing that they refer to as overlapping centre halves. So your centre half will sometimes end up in the box and like on the end of the, on the end of a passing move and stuff like that. So it sounds like he plays with quite a fluid system, um, which for some of the players that Borough have got in their squad should fit quite well. Certainly, people like Paddy McNair has got the ability to to carry the ball all the way through the pitch. So, yeah, exciting times, and um, I think a change was needed, as I alluded to in the last podcast. But um, I think it's the right move, and uh, fingers crossed they'll be able to push us towards the top of the table by uh, by the end of the season. I think. It, I, th- I think the thing that's you know I, I kind of you know I, I messaged you on on Saturday like you kind of messaged about it and I was I mean at the time I was in the car and I was like, when I go home I, my message was going to be what the fuck's going on in your manner kind of thing because <laughs> it, it, it it's not it's not something you associate with Middlesbrough maybe it's maybe it's becoming more kind of thing I always kind of saw it as a club that did things the right way but obviously with Woodgate they kind of got Warnock into help and then shuffled um, Woodgate out the door and then they've kind of done it underhand again this this time round. I mean, I, I think when I was listening to the radio, um, they were saying like they'd acted now because Wilder was becoming more and more in demand. Um, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of one of those things. You know, obviously... Kind of looking at it at a forest perspective, I like. Well, I mean, it's it's ch- all 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 the chicken lickings are out at the moment at Forest because um, it's like the sky's falling in because Middlesbrough are going to recall Jed Spence who, who who plays right wing back or something like that, and we should have bought him when we had the chance and all this kind of thing. I think it's one of you know as, as someone said. The reason why he's on loan at Forest is because he's got a shaky record of the pre- at the previous clubs that he's been at of having a bit of a sucky attitude. So it's going to be one of those two, one of a few different things of if Forest did sign him on a permanent deal, is he going to resort back to his previous kind of actions? Or if he does get recalled to Middlesbrough and he doesn't want to be there, are they going to have a disgruntled player kind of playing, or is he just going to find that Chris Wilder kind of plays in a similar way to Steve Cooper does, and kind of carries on like that? But I was I was surprised because you know obviously obviously the defeat against Luton, but you know one all draw against West Brom's not a, not a bad bad kind of thing, and 
um, he had been in the playoffs a week previous. Yeah, I think like like I said in the in the previous possibly a couple of weeks ago's podcast, it was for me it was definitely a sort of if there was ever a team that was in a false position, it was definitely Borough because they'd gotten a bit lucky in the fact that after the international break they had arguably with with the greatest of respect to Hull the three worst teams in the division to play because they played Peterborough Cardiff and Barnsley back to back um, Cardiff were obviously in the middle of that horrendous run where they'd lost something like six or seven on the spin Peterborough away from home uh, by all intents but I think they maybe were once and that might have come after the Borough game and obviously Barnsley are there for the taking at the minute, as as we've seen with the whole result on Saturday. So, I think they just got very lucky in the fact that if you look at that middle sort of section from, say, fourth downwards, it's maybe separated by five points or something like that, down to pretty much like you're talking 20th position. Two wins, and you're on the cusp of the playoffs anyway. So I think it was just very, we were just very fortunate we'd, we'd picked up nine points in the space of that, that week or week and a half period that had put us right in the mix. And then obviously they had the next game against Birmingham at home where they resorted back to type, lost 2-0. And they had the game against Luton, brilliant first half performance then just capitulated in the second half. And I think it was those two results that made them sort of reassess where they were for the season rather than the three wins that they'd got before it because um, obviously they were playing against teams that were definitely better than the calibre of players uh, the calibre of teams that played in the, in the previous weeks and the uh, the fact that they, uh, they lost in, and in the, I think it was more the manner of how they lost in the game against Luton because like I said on the podcast last week they just at times they just, they just didn't look as if they'd ever played football together before they were just all over the place there was no sort of shape to the team for the goals there was no idea about where they should have been positioning themselves and I don't know I, th- I think it's just that thing where he's, Gibson's obviously decided that the change is required and he's, he's decided to act now like you said because Wilder was potentially going to be a hot commodity with the teams that were getting rid of player uh, managers like Again, Cardiff might have been a team that would have gone after him and stuff like that. But um, I think in the entire time that I've been supporting him, up until about 10 or 12 years ago, they'd only had two managers in the entire time I'd supported him, which was Brian Robson and then Steve McLaren. Um, And then since then, I think they've gone through maybe 10 managers in the next sort of 12 to 13 years. So... They've gone from being that very stable club where managers were given time and were backed um, to being a bit more of a trigger happy club. I think um, that's not standard now, though, isn't it? Yeah. Across the league, I think, across football. Yeah, well, they, they, they say, don't they? Like, there's, I'm sure there's a stat out there where it's like first time managers don't tend to last more than 18 months. And it's something really like 50 or 60% of them never get another gig. So they never go back into management, no matter what level it is at, and stuff like that. And that seems to be the, uh, the the trend across the board. I mean, like you can understand it when teams like Chelsea are changing their manager every sort of like 18 months, two years, and still winning trophies. So for them, it's a system that works. Um, so why wouldn't other teams adopt it and see if they can get similar results? With that style, but I don't. If, if you listen really closely now, you can hear every single Man United fan in the country going, "Listen to this man." <laughs> <laughs> we'll come. To, we'll come to that later on in the uh, in the, uh, the this week in football section. <laughs> so there we go. End of an era for the Borough. Um, international break this week. So uh, we thought we might have a little crack at predicting the England games. Why not? Why not? So, I'm reliably informed by the BBC that the first of two England games this week is England versus Albania. Um, 
Now, as it's all of our teams, um, there is no first or last. So uh, I'm going to do I'm going to do this one in uh, in book order. So the 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 honours fall to fall to you, Paul, to take us away on what you think is going to happen, England Albania. Uh, sure, sure. Um, arguably, it's the. Can I make a prediction for the predictions? Go on. Nobody, nobody's going to have an Albanian goal scorer or a San Marino <laughs> goal scorer. Just, just to kind. Of... I would dare say that you correct there. Um, however, this this is arguably the more challenging of the two games that they've got in this particular break. As I believe, uh, Stu, but I have to confirm on this one, the second game is San Marino? Correct. Oh, dear. So, the question is... Oh, well, that changes everything. Brings it down by a goal, maybe. The question is, do England put out the heavy hitters for this first game so they can rest them for the second one? I believe the answer to be almost certainly yes. Uh, I will go for England 4-0. And those goal scorers are? Well, obviously, um, Mr. Tongue's too big for his mouth, Kane. He'll get at least two. I mean, Stu's doing his, his, his impression of him right there. No, it was the old Harry Enfield skit that was the... Uh... Oh, I see. Um, he's not really getting a game for Man City, but he's probably England's best player, or certainly was in the Euros. So stick me down for a Raheem Sterling goal. Okay. And he's been doing it for his club at the minute. So can I have Reese James to score, please? Okay. Stu, you're next on my list. Okay, so just to, to back up what Paul said as well, if England win and Poland drop points at Andorra, England are through. So that is even more reason to put out the heavy hitters in the first game. Um, obviously, if they don't win, then they might have to wait till the next game for, for qualification. But um, to that end, I have gone with England 3, Albania 0. Okay. And not highlighting with these three goal scorers anything that Harry likes to do in his spare time. But I've gone for Kane, Mount, Stones. You've done that on purpose, you dirty little man. You are correct. Oh, hang on. No, no. No. I believe. Oh no! Hang on. I was going to say I, th I thought Mount had been had been removed, but he hasn't. He's just reporting late because of dental surgery or something like that. Okay. I'll double check. While the host gets on that one, Matt, you are next on my list. I'm going to go with a five nil. Well, put you said four nil, and that was going to be my initial one. So then when Stu said three, I was like, oh man, just to be different, I'll go five nil. Um, Harry Kane, two. Uh, Raheem Sterling. John Stones. An old, old George, Jordan, but a Henderson. He'll get himself a little spawny bastard goal and everyone will love it. <laughs> Um, I feel like I've not gone far enough with this. I thought I was being ambitious with going 2-0 with uh, Kane and Sterling to score, but you never know. Um, that's that. So it, it takes us to our next England game, which is San Marino versus England. Um, I suggest that 
rather than us diving headfirst into this particular pick, we have what can only be described as a short advertising break. Commercial break. Of course, well, get, those spons- get those sponsors in and stuff like Well, that. Paul, somebody needs to pay for the podcast studio that oh. uh, is yet to be built, so I more than fully agree with you. Excellent. I'm just going to pop and get another refreshing beverage from my uh, from my chiller unit. So, um, you know, any 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 sort of suggestions as to what I should get? I, I don't really know. I don't know, but uh, I imagine it'll be a world record, whatever it is. Um, I will I will pop to uh, to definitely pick up at a tasty brew. Could be, could be any kind. It could be of the big drop variety. Who knows? It could be podcast favourites and definitely someday a, a podcast sponsor, uh, a mash gang. Who knows? But anyway, find out when we come back after these commercials. It wasn't, and then it was. So, uh, you know, maybe it is. Buy those products. I've got uh, I've got a builder coming, and he's going to want paying, so, you know, somebody needs to pay for it. It ain't going to be me, that's for sure. Before the commercial break, we were talking England football, and uh, I, I teased that we were going to talk San Marino versus... England. Um, I said we'd go in a particular order one way and then we'll go in reverse order so it's actually me first. Um, This is one of those where I imagine somebody's going to tell me that this player isn't playing but I've got I've just gone with nil one and I've gone with the old Saka Souffle to get that goal so uh, as long as he's playing or going to play then we might be okay. What that means is, Matt, it's over to you. Right then. Uh, I've gone a little bit more uh, kind of thingy. I've gone for... Uh, I'm going to commit to it. 8-0. San Marino, it's 8-0. Yeah, 8-0. I'm, I'm okay with 8-0. That feels alright to me. Um, Jack Grealish with 2 Uh, Jude Bellingham Declan Rice Rashford with two Ah Rashford has been replaced due to injury Alright, so I presume I'm going to go with his replacement then Smith Rowe (laughs) For two And I need another two uh, Saka and Foden. The best thing is if I don't get the score right, I've got that many fucking scorers that I might get points there. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't want to point out that uh, that that was what was going on. But um, <laughs> Stu, can you top an, a nil eight? I, I, I can't. I mean, I mean, by Matt's theory, surely I should just say eleven nil and yeah. name every single player. Basically, <laughs> I mean that might be the way forward, like for all predictions going forward. But I um, think the one that's uh, currently missing isn't going to go with that. <laughs> I, I have gone optimistic, not quite as optimistic as Matt. So I have gone for San Marino nil, England six. Um, I have gone for your boy, Saka, to score one. Then Foden, Jack Grealish, Tammy Abraham for two. And then throw, throw the defenders a bone, seeing as uh, Stone's got one in the, uh, clearly got one in the Albania game. I've gone for Mr. 50 Pence Head himself, Harry Maguire. If there's ever going to be a game where they're going to score from a set piece, surely it's this. Paul, 
We've got you down oh, for a look for, for nil eleven. Apologies, I had to uh, dip away to uh, take some uh, tablets to the uh, the patient upstairs. Um, right then, so I overheard Matt say eight, I believe. Caught your one. I didn't catch Stu's score, but I heard him say at least five different scores. Six. Well, five goal scorers, but yeah, six goals I've gone for. Uh, yeah, I'll go for seven then. Goal scorers? Strapping lads, we're in for a bumpy ride. Oh, do you needed an A3 sheet of paper? <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it easier for you. I'll go for... Abraham to get a hat trick. Okay. I'm going to go for a Trent Alexander-Arnold goal. Possibly even a direct free kick. is listed on the forwards yeah I, I like the uh, I like the uh, I like the idea of an Emile Smith Rowe goal seeing as he was never called up in the first place and he's only been added as an afterthought because he likes to do that and then he likes to actually he likes to actually pick them doesn't he he's done that before yeah. he's, he's added players in last minute and then he plays them anyway um, I will go for Jude Bellingham get one and I believe that leaves him with one more indeedy I mean I can't I can't I can't put I can't put the grease ball down for one I just I just don't have it in me to, to actively back him to want to score stick me down for Phil Foden instead if, he's, if he has a, a, a chance like that one that he took in training that they keep showing on Sky Sports today, then uh... I've just I've just seen that when I was looking through the Sky Sports app. It sounds like it was quite the uh, quite the finish. Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong; it was a hell of a finish. But you know, that's what happens when there's no defenders next to you. <laughs> also, if we're going to be if we're going on about like really really good goals we scored, I mean, I scored a cor- I scored a header direct from a corner last night at Monday Night Football to win the game. I mean. You don't hear Sky Sports News putting that on their uh, on their feed, do you? Unbelievable! I had a pearl of volley with one of the footballs at school onto the roof today, so you know. Flat roof, or is it one of those ones that just like sort of funnels into like a a sort of a a vortex of oh, sort it's, of it's a flat roof. It's a flat roof, but then it's got we've got there's drains on the on the roof as well, so I mean it could be in there by now. So it was absolutely worldy of a volley. It was not meant to go back on, onto the uh, onto the uh, roof, but never mind. So there we go. Those are the game upcoming international games predicted. Uh, I believe that leads us on to this week in football. Obviously, we've covered a little bit of the week in football news with the departure of the Middlesbrough manager. But has anything else been going on in the last week in football? Has, has it? Has it indeed? So it was apparently the week to be sacking your manager. Um, I think... I don't know if it was the week before, but there were... I think it was three managerial casualties in a day. I think Barnsley sacked their manager, Scunthorpe sacked their manager, and another team that I can't remember on the top of my head sacked theirs. And then obviously this weekend we've had the um, the Middlesbrough manager, Norwich sacked their manager uh, it's late on Saturday evening, which was bizarre considering they just won their first Premier League game in 20. Yeah, it still managed to sack him anyway. Fields get arranged before the, those games are played, Paul, as, as your lot proved. It's just bizarre. Just baffling. Uh, and then, I don't know if it was... Was it on Sunday or was it yesterday that Villa announced that Smith was gone? It must have been Sunday. It was Sunday, I, yeah. 
So Aston Villa have now sacked Dean Smith. I'm sure off the top of my head there's another one as well that I'm forgetting. Maybe he's just at three. There seemed to be a rash of it. Like, just all of a sudden, everyone's... There's, it, kind of everyone thought, oh, crap, we better start sacking our manager. Because, mm. you know, I don't know whether you kind of try to line yourself up to um, put yourself in place for the next manager. And the thing that I was thinking about, is Chris, is Chris Wilder regretting taking the job at your place? Wouldn't surprise me. To be honest, like... I even said this to a to a friend of mine who's another Borough fan, and I said it's kind of weird that I'm I'm happy that he's the manager, but obviously they'd, they'd hired this guy called Kieran Scott as the head of recruitment, and he came from Norwich, and I said if they just held on for another couple of hours, obviously he worked really well with Farker in getting plays in at Norwich, and it was like could they maybe sort of like recreate the same thing at Borough, but. They're not really probably wilder by that point, so um, yeah. There's, 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 as as is always the case. There's plenty of names being thrown around for uh, for the positions at um, Norwich and Villa. This, the the strangest one for Norwich for me was the guy at Southampton. They were yeah. saying Ralph Hessenhutel's name is in the frame. And it's like so he's going to leave a club that's fairly stable in the Premier League. For a team that literally can't decide whether it wants to be a Premier League team or a Championship team. No, no, they've made that full decision because their team is shocking. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I think I watched them for the first time this weekend and, like, they announced the team and I'm thinking, well, like, I think they've got it, Kieran Dowell who plays in their midfield. He couldn't get a game at Forest. When he, when he came to Forest on loan. Now, I know it's like a couple of years down the way, but he couldn't get a game at Forest. And at that time, we were terrible. And and I was like, you just look at the, you look at the whole kind of makeup. They, they got the, the guy who Liverpool signed in desperation in at, at January, who then they sent back early because he was so bad. Kabak is it or something yeah, like that? Ozan, Ozan Kabak, yeah, he's he's a terrible central defender. And yeah. yeah. Tim Tim Krull's been a bad goalkeeper for a long time now. And you just think that, that it's it's a complete kind of like lack of ambition club. I think you know, someone said I think there's I read an article today about Fulham and is is Mitrovic a cheat code for the championship. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, because he's going to score 30, 40 goals as long as he doesn't think. But he's no good in the Premiership. and uh, But at least kind of Fulham seem to kind of spend some kind of money to try and stay up. Norwich don't seem to have any intention of staying up. It is, it is strange. I don't, I don't know if it's maybe that they, they, they obviously have this business model or recruitment model that they stick to, whereas they, they'll only sign players that fit within, like, Certain criteria, like I, I, I can't remember which club it was, but there was a club that uh, that had a structure where they'd only sign players that were between like twenty one and twenty eight years old or something like that. Well, that's, and they'd that's only what... sign, and they'd only sign players if they if they when they'd done their due diligence on them, they felt that they'd have a resale value of like you know no more than no more than what they paid for them within like the next five years or something. Like it that. might it might have been Barnsley because I think that's what. The guy, that, the guy that Forrest have got in this Dane Murphy, he's like this money ball, money ball yeah. football kind of thing. That he's a kind of you know, and that's the idea with Forrest that the squad's going to get smaller and younger. And you know, I mean, God, I think if not not myself personally, but if other Forest fans heard them say that the idea is that you get them in on a certain amount and then you ship them back out for more, that then. Forest fans had started going nuts at the prospect of being a selling club because it's that kind of thing. But there's not. I mean, aren't, I think all clubs are selling clubs, aren't they? I, don't, I was going to say know. unless unless you're the, the the sort of what you'd have classed as the established top four, the two Manchester clubs, Chelsea and Liverpool. Unless you're one of because it, well, if, yeah, to an extent, Madrid come in and. And that kind of thing, and the players that they want to go, they will sell True. them as opposed to cling on to them. True, but 
what I'd say is that they're in that position of if they don't want to sell the player, yeah, they won't they won't just bow to the player's demand. So, perfect case in point would be Virgil Van Dijk. So obviously, when he was at Southampton, uh, Liverpool came in with the bid for him. It wasn't the valuation that Southampton had set, so they didn't sell him. And then obviously, he just went on the he went on the off for six months, didn't he? And in a sort of an attempt to make it force through the move, the next time the transfer window opened, if if that if that situation was to rear its head again, and say, like you say, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, in a previous guise, came in and said, "We want Virgil Van Dijk." Fair enough, he might want to make the move, but Liverpool are in a position where they just go, well, "No, we well." You can go, but they're going to pay what we feel is the market value for you. Yeah. And we're talking at this point, what, 150 million plus? Ridiculous now, yeah. Um, so unless a team's willing to pay that money, Liverpool are in a position where they can physically say no. And they just say to him, listen, you signed a five, six, seven, however many year contract when we signed you. We're, in, we're under no obligation to sell, and you're going to play. So. I mean, fair enough, he could then just go and like stick the ball in his own net, but he's kind of cutting off his bollocks there, isn't he? So, yeah. I think, yeah, with, that, with, with the exception of those four, I think pretty much every club in England has to admit the fact that they are basically a selling club. Yeah, yeah. And as much as it hurts when, like, obviously, like, you see, uh, like, you obviously, no one wants to, like, teams to sell their best players because, like, you know, that you, as a supporter, you know they're the players that make your team better. So no one wants to see players go, but it's just it's just part and parcel of the game, isn't it? Really, I mean, you just have to, you just have to deal with it, I suppose. It's, it's, and I think a lot of a lot of a lot of teams nowadays are, are sort of moving away from the like keep the spine of the team model there, and they're basically sort of buying players that fit into a system rather than build the system around the players. If that makes yeah. sense. So if you know that you want to play like a three-four-three, you know that you're going to have to buy at least one sort of anchor defender who's just going to sit with the ball, and then the other two are going to have to sort of bomb up and down and stuff like that. And you're going to go out and buy specific players in that mould, and only those players. So yeah. I don't know if Norwich are basically just stuck in that mindset and because they've 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 signed the players that are in their price range their sort of target demographic of of player that they think that they've got the players that'll do the job to keep them in the Premier League and it's obviously just not worked so at some point they have to admit defeat and change the model you would have thought well obviously they sold their they they sold their best player from last season to Villa didn't they Buendia, and they got they, they got like thirty eight million from I think they got large they got large money for him, big money, but obviously it's it's been reinvested in certain ways, but just not in a in a particularly way that they, that would strengthen in the position that they lost him in. So. Anything but, else in the news? Well, happened in the last on week? The back, back on the management front, obviously teams are. Teams are sacking managers left, right and centre, but Newcastle have finally got around to appointing a man on a permanent basis. And they've made us like a couple of, like a couple of bastards from last week's podcast, where uh, I believe if you go back and listen, I believe it was a case of us saying, oh, there is absolutely no chance in hell that Eddie Howe takes the Newcastle job. He doesn't want to be that far north. About five minutes later, or five minutes after the podcast was released, uh, yeah, I think he was announced late on Sunday, maybe early. Maybe they Monday. told him. Maybe they told him that they were going to play at Brighton every week. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> to, well, I was going to say he didn't have to go very far for his watching brief on Saturday, as he was in the stands for this for the game against uh, Brighton on Saturday. But yeah, Eddie Howe. He was. Uh, he's the man who's been given the war chest, so to speak. I, I don't think he'll last the season. I think he'll be done before the end of the season. 
Credit, credit to Sky Sports News doing all they can to get Newcastle fans excited about the guy that they probably least wanted in charge um, on the basis that they've been digging up interviews from two or three years ago saying how, you know, they're basically dissecting a, a Bournemouth attack from them playing like a, a particularly tricky uh, set-piece routine at a corner saying how he wants, you know, attack to be the form of defence that they used at the time. I mean, Newcastle fans must be absolutely chomping at the bit to see a team play attacking football. Um, but he can't do anything about the squad that he's got until January. So, knock yourself out, kidder. <laughs> you just think as well, if they start buying all these players that they're saying that they want to buy, and then they go walk through the door and Eddie Howe's there, and uh, you know, his reputation in England is good. I don't know whether he's in, his reputation internationally is good. So, you know, like, whoever they get in, in, in January, they're going to walk through the door and go, what? I thought I thought you said Uri Emery was going to be here. He's not. I thought you said uh, Conte. Oh, no, Conte's down at Tottenham, is he? Oh, yeah, that, all right. And that, you know, that'll be all the kind of things. It'll be these players. You'd hope that they come in and respect the manager, but, you know, <laughs> there's every chance that they won't. It's that thing in it. It's like um, there's there's no way that if if they're linked to a player like who, who's kind of coming from say Real Madrid's reserves or like the, the fringes of the first team Real Madrid, it's not exactly going to go from potentially being coached by Ancelotti to being coached by who? Oh no, it's how. Sorry, yeah, that that that's <laughs> it. But I mean, like, fair enough. Like, obviously. Before he won stuff, people would have probably said Jose Mourinho. Who was that guy? Mm. And like, obviously, when he when he first came down when he first came down to England, everyone thought like it was this Ferguson fella that United have put all their right. faith in and stuff like that. Like from from a whole perspective, look at all the shit that came out when Marco Silva got put in charge. Yeah, uh, very true. But. Listen, he's, he knows exactly what he's got to do. He's got to steady the ship, get him to win at home, maybe sneak a couple of away points and drain wins if he can, and just get him to 40 points as fast as possible. Or preferably not. <laughs> but we'll see. I still think they're one of the I still think they're one of the five worst teams in the division, so would not surprise me at all to see him down there come March. Mm-hmm. Even with two hundred million pounds worth of investments at, um, at uh, January, because the, the players aren't going to bed in straight away. They're going to take time to get to you to get used to his style of football, to get used to the climate, the the atmosphere, everything, the speed of the game, and so on. It's not going to it's not going to happen like that. It's going to take time. So the, the best the best thing that I read was was that uh, you know, and obviously when he gets there, there'll be some familiar faces for him. <laughs> and obviously, was it Wilson up, Callum Wilson up front, and Ryan Fraser and Matt Ritchie? And I was like, "Great!" He's he's probably thinking, "Marvelous! This is great!" You know, well, Wilson Wilson, he won't have any problems with because I think he left on good terms. But <laughs> Ritchie basically sort of did he slag him off when he left Bournemouth like, for Newcastle, and then the better, the less said about Ryan Fraser, the better. The bailer, the bottle job, who didn't want to play for him at the end of the COVID season in case oh, he got injured. What a filthy little bastard. <laughs> I, I was just like, that's great. I was just like, I mean, really kind of looking for silver linings when they're, they're just raggedy edges. You just kind of think, uh, crack on with that one, mate. <laughs> Jesus. The thing is, that, like, you can see it happening as well though, now, like, I'm pretty sure that the, his first game in charge, bearing in mind he's now got the best part of two weeks as well, training with, with most of the squad, I should imagine, because <laughs> I don't think they'll be, they'll be overly in, um, laden with uh, internationals, are they, particularly? Oh, you mean Joe Linton didn't get a surprise call-up to the Brazilian squad for his, uh, his incredible goal-scoring feat? Um, but I think the first game is at home, against Brentford 
So you can see it happening that this, that, you know, the new manager bounce thing, whatever. They'll probably get a decent win in that first game, and that's just just the kindling for that over exaggerated Geordie fire, isn't it? Like, you know, you've got you've got direction is horrific. I was gonna say Brent, you've got Brentford, Arsenal, Norwich. So you've got like six pointer stuffing, six pointer. December is wonderful. They start with Burnley, which might be all right. Then it goes Leicester, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Everton. <laughs> I mean, they might not. They might still be on single figures by the time Christmas comes. At night, by the time the new year comes, that Everton game is it at home or is it away? The way. Oh, because that'd have been even better. Newcastle at home with a load of cash, and Rafa comes in and does them all. Priceless. It's yeah. It's it's it's. I don't know. I was, I, I'm I'm surprised he took the job. I'm still surprised he took the job. You know. I don't know. Maybe it's like an opportunity to prove yourself somewhere along the line but I just think <laughs> it's I'd, two I'm months where you're waiting I'm still very much it, it, I think it, like Paul said he's there to get him to that market as quickly as possible anything else is a bonus and for you know for him and in terms of sort of improving his credentials but them lot who've taken over aren't going to mess about either if if, if he doesn't keep them up essentially the job that he's been brought in to do he'll be back to the drawing board again next time round anything else news wise uh, there's the the derby situation's not really sorted out but it's also not really it's, it's, it's still up in the air Apparently, the, the decision to, for the for the is this an additional points decision has been adjourned. It's the original nine points, like the one that they had before from the dodgy books from old Uncle Mel. Um, that they haven't that so that one's still they've got to negotiate with the administrators, and then it's it's ridiculous because it's basically right. Yeah, you've got to negotiate with the administrators. But then actually you might just, when the new owners come in, they might come in and say, well, we want to negotiate as well. And there's reports from like The Athletic that are saying three points with six suspended. Um, and then like other reports say, no, no, the FA have said, you're taking the piss now. We're going the full nine points. And it doesn't matter what you say in terms of promises, in terms of like new ownership and stuff like that. It's it, It's... We've got to make an example of you as a club, um, which is it's a bit crap for the people coming in, but you know what you get yourself into. You know, it, 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 it was all laid out. You can't turn around and go, well, hang on a minute, we didn't do it. And you're like, yeah, but you knew what you were getting into in the first place. You know, you knew that those were that was the sell um, and that was the potential kind of thing. We'd seen, um, seen earlier today, haven't we, that it was a bit rich for a couple of uh, the, well, a, a couple of brothers as an interested party. As it says, former Rangers shareholders Sandy and James Easdale have withdrawn their interest in buying Derby County. Um, and then, subsequently, around the same time that that was released, um, they also announced that that points hearing was adjourned and they haven't set a, a, a date to pick it back up again. So that, like, you said, Matt, I think they've kind of got to the point now where they might have had some buyers interested. Now them guys have pulled out. It's a bit like, we're going to have to go through all this again anyway when somebody new comes in, so why don't we just knock it on the head and we'll give it a date once that bit's ironed out, I think. I think from things that I've read that people have started digging into their books and stuff and it's way worse than even is publicly known as. I think it's a, a really, it's been a really poorly run club for far too long, basically. Yeah, I think it's just out of control. I think they just thought. I think 
it's it's the thing that you worry about, and it's also the thing that a lot of clubs are going through is the fact that it's this we've got to get promoted, we've got to get promoted. No matter, we'll do whatever we can to get promoted, and then we'll deal with the consequences once we get into the Premier League. But when you don't get there, the consequences are still waiting for you in a league with not that much money. I, I think that's the biggest thing that people got. You know, that a lot of clubs don't realise is that the whole of the football league is is really poor and not not poor standard wise, poor as in financially. It, it's you know this is why you're paying forty quid to go to a to go to a football match because the cl- clubs are trying to rake in cash somewhere somehow. Yeah. Well, it's got to be like I, I, I'd be very surprised if not if maybe not all, but the majority of say League Two clubs will be operating at a loss every season. That wouldn't surprise me at all. The majority of the League One clubs will probably be the same. It's only really when you start getting into the Championship that like, clubs are probably going to start breaking even. Very few of them will make a profit. And that will only be on player sales. It will be nothing else. So I've got Something. one more little... If, if, we've got, if we're coming to the end of it, I've got one more little factoid. It was also the FA Cup first round this uh, this weekend, and uh, Halifax and Maidenhead played out a seven-four win for Halifax. And the best thing that came with that absolute thrill of a game, Maidenhead have never made the second round of the FA Cup, and they were they they started in eighteen eighty-six. So they never made the second round of the FA Cup. I just thought it was a nice little kind of. Random fact. I did see that the lowest ranked team left in the competition was Buxton, and Buxton put out York City in the first round. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. At least, uh, at least York have got that going for them. So they followed that up by going <laughs> to Flemington tonight and losing two 0 So good old York. <laughs> There we go. That is very much that. A uh, a big juicy football podcast for your ears or even your eyes. I want to thank everybody that you can see here or everybody that you've heard here. Big thank you to Matthew Moore, Stuart Mancy, and the host with indeed the most, Paul Williams, taking you lovely people through what is often choppy, choppy waters of the football world to emerge out the other side on the beach of victory. Thank you gentlemen for joining me and joining these lovely people and until next week we will see you then. Tatty bye. So there you go, what do you think to that? Another one done. Another one gone, another week of games gone, and another week of games to come. Big thank you to everybody who joined me on this podcast, Paul, Matt and Stu. And a big thank you to you for listening along. And an even bigger thank you to you if you are one of our lovely subscribers. You can also jump over to thecookiecast.com, check out what we've got going on over there. And uh, you can also drop us a line using one of our social media links or even our email function. So there we go. That's it for this one. Until next time, I'm going to say bye. I'll see you then.